Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you in the name of Jesus, just believing, believing, Lord, that indeed it is true. You were given for a ransom for our life. You were slain in order to give us life, to give us freedom, to give us liberty, to bring the life, even the abundant life to us. And Lord, we, we read here this morning, we look at it, we're, it we're, we're, we're looking in a mirror, Lord. A couple of, of young men coming to you and saying, Teacher, we want you to give us whatever we want. That's us, Lord. We do the same thing. We have our own agenda. We have our own wants. We have our own desires. We treat you like Santa Claus. But Father, you have something so much better. Would you show, up, show that to us this morning, Lord? And I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So Jesus is within weeks, possibly days, of coming into Jerusalem where he will be betrayed, arrested, beaten, and crucified. We left off last week in verses 33 and 34. Those are the verses just before where we started this morning. Jesus had just told them right before the verses we started with this morning. He said, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles and they will mock him and they will scourge him, which means whipped and spit on him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. So it's not too long after saying those words that he says again here in verse 35, or the word says here that two of his disciples, two of the ones who had just heard him say he's going to be mocked, scored, spit upon, and killed. They came up to him, James and John, in verse 35, and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus said to them, What do you want me to do for you? I mean, you might have expected him to say, Who do you think I am, Santa Claus? But no. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Verse 37 said, they said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. See, by, by this time, they knew something was up. At one point, actually, the crowds, the multitude, tried to by force make him king. They knew he was a king. But they also knew that, he, that um, 
the people in power were plotting to kill him, to destroy him. And they had just heard from Jesus himself that he is going to be destroyed by the people in power. But nevertheless, these guys, this is what they say. Let us sit on your right and left in your glory. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said, oh, sure. Oh, yeah. No problem. We're up for it. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with you, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those who, for whom it is prepared. So once again, Jesus surprises here. He surprises. We read the Bible so that we can get to know Jesus more. If we knew him the way he wants us to know him, And year over year, you will get to know him better as you stay in the word. You wouldn't be surprised. You'd say, yeah, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. That's the Jesus I have come to know. But he surprises here. We see here that he responds in a way so different. You would think that when James and John came to him, they would get a whack. You expect that. I expect that because of the false religious kind of idea that uh, we grew up with about God, that God, even with his children, is like a cosmic cop. Whack. He's not. Last week, we saw the apostle Peter say to Jesus, Jesus, we left all to follow you. What do we get for that? We would expect, whack. No, Jesus answers the question, and he, and, and he says, I'll tell you what you're going to get. You're going to get a lot for leaving all and following me. You're going to get a hundred times what you left. That's what you're going to get. Hmm, maybe we should just, when we have a desire in our heart, we should just ask Jesus. When we have something that we want to say, Maybe we should just say it. He knows it anyway. He knows our thoughts. Today, we see two guys coming up, two different guys. Last week, it was Peter. This is James and John. They say, give us whatever we ask. Do they get a whack? No, they don't. They don't get a whack. Jesus, in fact, sort of kind of said, well, I would if I could. He says in verse 40, he says, but you know, to sit on my right hand and on my left, it's not really mine to give. Oh, that we would see, that you would see the largeness of Jesus' heart for you. He's got such a large heart for you. David knew that, the psalmist David. That's why they called him a man after God's own heart. Who wouldn't go after God's heart when they discover what his heart is like? 
Jesus has a huge heart for you. Why? Because you are so pure and good and lovely and strong? No. Because he is love. The Bible says God is love. By loving you, he's just simply being who he is. However, James and John here, when they come and they say, hey, give us whatever we ask, it really says something, how approachable. I want to be approachable like Jesus, where someone's willing to come up to me and, and say something, even something foolish, just so approachable. Notice, they come up and say outrageous things because they're used to a guy who, who's willing to hear. Whatever they have on their heart, Jesus is willing to hear whatever is on your heart. But their motives are not pure. And we'll talk about that. But there are some things to admire in this request. We'll talk about that. But it's oh so clear here that part of what's going on is a continuation of what we already saw in the previous chapter, chapter 9, verse 34. They want to get to the place where everyone recognizes that they are the greatest. You may remember that from chapter 9, verse 34. Jesus hears them arguing along the road. They don't know he's listening. They don't know he knows. And he asks them, hey, what were you, uh, what were you talking about back there? And it says they kept silent because they were arguing about who, which one would be the greatest. They wanted to be recognized as the greatest. And this is just a continuation of that. Give us whatever we ask. What do you want? We want to sit on your right hand and your left when you're in your glory. Jesus, make me the greatest. Definitely, definitely, definitely not pure motives. The Bible says this. Actually, Jesus says this in the book of Luke. What is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to the Lord. And the context of that when he says that in the book of Luke, was getting recognition or the desire to get recognition or doing things specifically for the purpose of getting honor and recognition by men. This is not, these guys, this is not, they're, they're not pure in their motives here, but, 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 but. Thank God for that word, B-U-T, but in the Bible. There's a lot of great B-U-T statements, but God statements in the Bible. But God is love, 1 John 4, 8. And just in case when you're reading 1 John 4, it doesn't register, eight verses later, same thing. God is love. 1 Peter 4.8 says, love covers a multitude of sins. And one of the ways, Calvary Chapel, listen up, 
one of the ways that love manifests itself, one of the ways that love covers a multitude of sins, one of the ways that love covers sin, God's love for you covers sin, is it sees good in you through a whole lot of bad, through a whole lot of ugly. And that's what's going on here. This request is outrageous. It's awful. Again, what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to God. They want, they want, they want recognition. They want, they want people uh, jealous of them. They want people admiring them. That's not okay. It's stealing from the glory of God. That's what it is. But he sees through it. He sees through that. He sees through oftentimes the ugliness of what your desire is for your life. And in these two guys, they see that he sees Lord Jesus, sees them, and he sees two men who really, really, really love him. They love him. And they want to be really close to him forever. We know the Apostle John, one of these guys, John, the Apostle John, one of the guys saying, give us whatever we ask. We want to be on your right and your left. We know from the Apostle John, in, in, in John 13, 23, it says this, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And just in case you don't regularly use the word bosom, the NSB says this, lying back on Jesus' chest was one of his disciples. It's this guy, John. It's this guy saying, we want to be right, and, right on your right and on your left in your glory. And we want everyone to know it too, but... But we love you, Jesus. This guy loved Jesus. I mean, this starts making me feel uncomfortable. Some of you are thinking, why? I mean, that's normal. You're leaning back on someone's chest. It's just a little weird for a dude, a white dude who grew up in New England. I mean, this is not what we did growing up. Leaning back on people's, you know, someone's chest. What? Get away from me. This is John. He really really, really loves Jesus. And Jesus knows that. In spite of the... I mean, this request that they make is covered in muck. But God is love. He sees through your muck. He sees a man or woman who loves him. There's something wonderful to me about watching the new zeal of a new believer in Christ. The zeal. I love Jesus so much, I'll never get angry again. I'll, I'll never have interest in another alcoholic drink. I'll never have a lustful thought, ever. When I hear that kind of thing, it does make me kind of want to cringe because I know they're going to fall. 
But at the same time, I love to hear it. I love to hear it. Because why? Because they're no longer saying, give me the biggest dude in Boston. I'll take him. They're not saying that no more. I can drink more alcohol than anyone. I can get any woman I want. They're not saying anymore. They're saying, I love Jesus, and I'm going to stick with him for the rest of my life, and I'm never going to fall. Well, yes, you will, but I'm loving this love. I'm loving watching your love for Jesus Christ. There is something crazy wonderful about watching a new believer. Just crazy for the Lord. Love covers a multitude of sins. And God's going to use that man, that woman, who's saying such foolish things. Because he uses people who love him. Let's get back to our text. Verse 37 says... Grant us, they say to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right and the other on your left in your glory. Again, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? What's he referring to here? All right, good, the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, just before his arrest, Jesus took these same two men. He took them away with Peter from the rest of the disciples, and he went to a a place away from the other disciples uh, to be with him while he prayed. And he said to them at that time, this is just a couple hours before he's arrested and dragged away to be crucified. He He said to James, to John, these same two men and Peter, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to the point of death. And he went a little farther away, farther away, and it says he fell on his face. And this is what he said. This is what he said to God. He said, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup. This is the cup that is being referred to in the book of Mark, chapter 10, where he asked James and John, are you able to, are you able to take this cup that I drink? If it is possible, God, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so he's asking him in chapter 10. He says, you, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to take the cup? The cup, we know, is the agony and torment of Jesus Christ that he went through in his, what's called his passion from the Garden of Gethsemane where he was under such extreme distress that there was blood in his sweat. Until the cross, until the cross. And you remember the cross. On the cross, he cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
The Bible says that, that, that God, the, the Father, turned his face away from the Son while the Son was being punished for your sins and mine. The cup, the baptism that he refers to. He's not referring to his baptized when John the Baptist baptized Baptized. He's referring to the baptism um, of the passion, of the agony, of the distress that he went through uh, before the cross in Gethsemane and then leading up to the cross and then while, while on the cross. You want to have a, an awesome Bible study this week, you go to Psalm 22, which is just a remarkable psalm. It actually has the thoughts of Jesus when he is on the cross. It's an extraordinary place in scripture. And, and it has it, and, and verse 12 of Psalm 22 says this, this is Jesus thinking. This is what you're missing out, brothers and sisters, if you're not reading the Bible. You're missing out on what Jesus is thinking on the cross. He says in verse 12 of Psalm 22, many bulls, have surrounded me. That's a reference to demons, demonic entities tormenting Jesus when he was on the cross. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashans encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. We know who the lion is. It's Satan himself showing up at the cross. 1 Peter 5 says um, Satan goes about like a roaring lion and he was roaring at Jesus on the cross in the middle of all his pain. He's got Satan in his face accusing. In verse 16, um, Jesus is thinking. It says, on the cross, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Written a thousand years before Jesus was crucified. It's a prophetic song. That is the cup that Jesus is referring to here. That is the baptism that he is referring to. So let's continue in verse 39. Read along with me. So they said to him, oh, we're able. Oh, we can do that. Hey, yeah, no problem. This is what we say. We say things like, hey, can I be a pastor someday? Oh, are you sure you want to ask that? Are you sure you're able to drink the cup and go through the baptism I go through? Oh, yeah, man. I can do it. I can do that. No sweat. Lord, I want to have kids. Are you sure you know what you're asking for? Oh, yeah, all those sweet, cuddly little things. Oh, yeah, I know exactly what I'm at. Are you sure you can go through the baptism cup of being a mom? Oh, yeah. It says here in verse 39, Jesus responded to that saying, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and with the baptism I am baptized with you will be baptized with. Another way of saying, although they don't know at the time, you're going to be in a lot of pain. The Bible says 
as an encouragement. Paul is encouraging the new churches in the book of Acts. He said, it is through many tribulations that you enter the kingdom of God. Jesus loves them. They said we're able. They have no idea of what that means. But once again, Jesus loves. He loves their love. He loves their love. He knows it's foolish. (laughs) Yeah, they're able. But he loves it. He loves seeing he loves seeing the love in your heart. He loves seeing you express your love. Express your love for God, your worship for God, even though you think it may be stupid, even though you think it may be foolish. God, I've left everything to follow you. He loves to hear that. He loved hearing Peter say that. We saw last week. God, we want to sit on your right hand and your left. He loves to hear that. However foolish it may be. Verse 40. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. Now, this is really amazing. What Jesus says here, think about it. There is someone who's going to be sitting with Jesus in his glory. On his right and on his left, there's actually going to be. Someone who lived on earth as a human being, on his right and on his left. I mean, that is one incredible thing. Heaven is going to be one amazing place, especially for those two people. But you see here, amazingly, he's not discouraging their desire. Their desire to be with them for all eternity on his right and on his left. We discussed this in Mark chapter 9 when the disciples were arguing who was greatest. Jesus didn't discourage their pursuit of greatness. We talked about this. We talked about this in a sermon. God has put the desire for greatness in every human being, including you. The problem is that our desire for greatness has been corrupted, darkened, twisted, polluted. We want to be known as great. We want to be greater than someone else. That's a corruption of the God-given desire for greatness. God has made you great, great for him. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 says, you were created to be like a star, a light in the world with the brilliant radiance of the Son of God. That's Greatness in Calvary Chapel, as with James and like um, as with John, God wants you to lay all your desire before Him for greatness. He wants to lay you to lay that desire before Him, whatever it is that you want to do for God. One of the brothers in the church, I just love him. I hope I have his permission to say this. He was sure he was going to be an astronaut for God. God changed his plans. God had better plans for him than being an astronaut. But do you know how how blessed God was to hear 
I want to be an astronaut for you. I want to go to the moon for you. God's blessed by that. He is blessed by you just pouring out your desire for him, your desire for greatness. He'll, he'll straighten out what's twisted over time. He will do that. But um, you want to see what God is going to do with your desire, your ambitions, some of which is selfish ambitions. If you want to see, um, if you want proof in the Bible of how God will take a selfish ambition that is darkened, that is twisted, that is outrageous, like these guys, their desire to be on his right and his left so everyone could admire them and, and be jealous of them. You just go to the book that this same John wrote. And you don't have to turn there with me, but I'll just read what happens literally 70 years later. It's a long time. 60 or 70 years later after going to Jesus and saying, hey, can, we be on, can I be on your right and your left? God took that man and he molded him. He broke him. And he molded him into his image. John, this, that same John writes 40, 50 years later, he says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for ourselves? No, for our brethren. John continues, this same John from John chapter 10, um, 40, 50 years before, says in verse seven of First uh, John four, beloved, let us love one another. Not do stuff so Others will be jealous of us or admire us. Well, no, let's love one another for the love, for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought, ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we, <clears throat> if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And, and verse 21, in this commandment, we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. So John went from a man who wanted himself to be great above all others to a man who wanted to love to serve all others. How did he get to that place? A lot of pain, a lot of suffering. Um, um, he drank the cup that Jesus drank and was baptized with the baptism that Jesus was baptized with. We see some of that, by the way, in the book of Acts. He was beaten and thrown into prison. He, um, he, he lives through the killings of all the other apostles, all the other apostles, the 11 other apostles were killed and he had to live just knowing that, perhaps even seeing it sometimes. He lives through all that and, and then at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, he's by himself on the island of Patmos, but he's not by himself. Who is with him? Jesus Christ. His desire for greatness had been cleansed, it had been purified, it had been straightened. So let's continue. Verse 42. 
rather, verse 41. It says, and when the 10 heard it, they became greatly displeased with James and John. So somehow they found out that James and John had come to Jesus and said, hey, uh, we want to be on your right hand and on your left in glory. And these guys, these other 10 guys, oh man, they're just going to be looking at us and just longing to be like us, wishing that they were like us. Well, when these guys heard it, verse 41, they were greatly displeased with James and John. Sin begets sin. It really does. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, notice how he doesn't start yelling at anyone, whacking them because they're just as wrong as James and John here. They're like, but no, we want it. We want to be on the right and left. Who are these guys that think? No, he, he doesn't whack them. He says to them in verse 42, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, meaning they, they're masters over them. They use them. They control them. And their great ones exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So here Jesus continues the study of what greatness really is. In the world, he says in verse 42, the great ones, that is, those who are known as great, those who are great compared to everyone else, they use greatness to exercise authority. In other, in other words, in order to control others for their own pleasure. But verse 43, Jesus says, but it shall not be so with you, but not with you. You're followers of me. You were, you were born, you were chosen for a greatness so much bigger than that, so much purer than that, so much more wonderful than that. It shall not be so among you, verse 43. That's not how you become a star lighting up the world with the brilliant radiance of the Son of God. Notice what Jesus is doing in these verses here. He, he, he's getting them to get their eyes off of the world's greatness. That's verse 42. And, and, and he's getting them to, to say, okay, get your eyes off those guys. Yeah, I know you see them. I know you see these kings and the kings, uh, maybe people who work with the king and they live 
sumptuously, meaning they, they get all the right stuff and, and, and people answer their every beck and call and people are kind of just, uh, just groping at their every single word. Get your eyes off them. In other words, get your eyes off social media, Calvary Chapel. Get your eyes off of whoever and whatever in the secular pagan entertainment world. And, and, and he directs their eyes to who? To him. To him. To Jesus Christ. To real greatness. And he says two things here. He, he says in verse 44, whoever of you desires to be first shall be a slave of all. And then he also says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for, for many. He says two things. One, notice Please, don't miss this. Jesus calls himself your slave. Your slave. You. That's what he says in verse 44. Whoever of you desires to be first, who is first? Jesus Christ. Shall be slave of all. I hope that changes your view of God forever. I hope that changes your, your view of Jesus Christ forever. Jesus Christ went to the cross, when he did so, he became your slave. More than that, actually, ever since being in the womb, every single temptation, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted every single way that you have been, yet without sin. So every time he was tempted and he died to the temptation, he, be, he, was, he was your slave. He was your slave. The second thing, it says, verse 2, it says he became a ransom for you. A ransom. Rather, not verse 2, the second point. Verse 45, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself a ransom for many. A ransom is what is paid to obtain the release of a captive, of a prisoner. You were a captive prior to coming to Christ. Some of you have never come to Christ and you're a captive now. You're a slave now. What is a captive? A captive is someone who's behind bars. A captive is someone who is in chains. A, 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 a captive is someone who's in prison. And in this context, the prison is a holding tank for eternal judgment. It's a holding tank for hell. Jesus became a ransom, a payment to get you out of hell. If you have never come to Jesus Christ and said, yeah, I believe, I, I, believe I, I am captive. I believe you're the son of God. I, I, I believe you came um, um, supremely, not for me to serve you, but for you to serve me so that I could get out of hell forever. If you've never done that, don't leave. We're going to have a time of communion. Now, actually, if the worship team could come up, we're going to have communion at this time. If you've been asked to pray, you can come up as well. Um, as well. But, but the, he says, a, a ransom, again, is what is paid to release a captive, a prisoner. When Jesus, in the book of Luke begins his ministry. He describes his ministry um, quoting the book of Isaiah and 
Um, he says just simply in Isaiah, uh, rather Luke chapter 4, verse 17, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to, among other thing, things, proclaim liberty to the captives. He also says in, in, in the book of Isaiah, to, to set free the prisoners. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, we are prisoners of sin. We can't help but sin. We can't help but just feed our flesh, indulge the flesh, get fat on the flesh. And there's only one that can set us free, and that is Jesus Christ. He sets free the captive. He was, he was paid as a ransom. And the payment price was his blood. Communion is all about what? It is about the blood of Jesus. It, it, it's about the broken body of Jesus and remembering what the blood has done. The blood of Jesus Christ paid the price to release you from prison, to release you from captivity. The Bible does say that before we take communion, that we should examine ourselves. <clears throat> if you have never opened up your heart and given your lives to Jesus Christ and, say it, and said, come in, be my king, be my savior, I'll follow you, I'll, I'll leave all and follow you. If you've never done that, the Bible says you should not be taking communion. But if you've never done that, you can do that this morning. You can, you, I'll be right up here. It's a prayer of faith, or you can just do it in the privacy of your seat. Jesus says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. Open up. And I will come in and I will dine with you. I'll eat with you. I'll have relationship with you. And I will set you free. Jesus says, He who the Son of Man sets free is free indeed. So if you have never left all to follow Jesus, don't take communion because the bible says that if you do that there's a there's a there's a there's a judgment rather a, a discipline for doing that because this is a serious thing it's a grave thing and so it's why we take time on friday nights i don't know how many of you were there on friday night just an incredibly glorious time on friday night because god just really brought us to the place where we were recognizing, wow, this is really, really, really serious. The blood of the Son of God. I don't mess around with that. We don't want to, you don't want to mess around with that. So if you've never left all to follow Jesus, please do it. Please do it now. I'll be up here. You can, I can, if, actually, if everyone could, could stand at this time, we're going to have some worship time and just a, a, a short time of prayer. Before communion, if you're thinking something different, at some point in your life, you did open up yourself to Jesus Christ.
He came in. He released you from captivity. And now what's going on? You've gone right back to the cage. <laughs> You've gone back to prison. You're captive to your sin. You're captive to your lust. You're captive to, to, to a life that Jesus Christ never called you to. Before you have communion, you need to say, you need to go to the Lord and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. You released me from this prison and I voluntarily opened up the door and went back in. We can help you through that prayer if you'd like. We'll be up here waiting if you'd like prayer. If there's anything else on your heart that you just want to pray about prior to having communion this morning, come up and pray with you.